you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Uh, speaking of, of great, great hockey players and legends and Red Wings, and uh, uh, I want to send one out to Mr. Chris Chelios tonight. Oh, raise your hand, put a light, say it to his face. That guy right there. Dude, you're big and you think you're handsome, but he would take you out with his left hand while his right hand was drinking a full bottle in one sip. You're funny, you're funny. The last guy that did that? Yeah. Yeah. No. Last time I, a guy did that, the last thing I saw with the bottom of his feet is they shut the ambulance door as they went to the hospital. It's true. And Chris even got him to sign a bar napkin before he put to said that I relieve Chris of any responsibility. He'll, yeah, don't. I'm, it's a public service announcement. Don't fuck with Chelios. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're getting close to the end of the year this is almost like the finale of 2022 because what we're going to get into and we're going to get into talking about it more in the next three or four episodes will all kind of culminate into sort of a season in review but this is the last one of a show not in 2022 that we're going to cover for the year 2022. So that news will be shared a little bit later, but right now we're going to share the news of getting ready for Detroit 2014. And this was a Patreon request from good old patron, Freddie blood, who we got the privilege to talk to this past week. And we are going to promote his profile in just a minute or two. So we'll hear from him on why he picked this show. And Yeah, another 2014 show. We always seem to find them, and they always seem to find us. But even on the U.S. side, very, very little for us to cover in the future. So 
why don't we get into this one? Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. You want to hear some crazy things about the state of Michigan? Let's do it. First of all, I, I think I have to bring this up. Since 2021, we had like four requests all come in at once saying that they wanted to do a show that was in Michigan. I'm like, well, we can't do four Michigan shows in one year. You need to spread it out a little bit more. So we did Ann Arbor and we did Clarkston last year. And this year, earlier in the year, we did East Lansing, and now we're doing Detroit, the the big city, of course. So if we're talking about it this way, that we've done a lot, you have to think about it in the other way of how the band has done Michigan. And when you see the overall numbers, they look good. They look pretty good. That's pretty healthy for a big city, a place that has good, rich rock and roll history. And the total amount of times that they've played in Michigan, just the state, not Detroit, but everything surrounding it, is 19. That's pretty good. I would consider that pretty good, wouldn't you? It's solid, absolutely. So here's the problem with that, is that Michigan is a pretty popular state. It, it, it's not the biggest state per se, but there's a lot of people there. And, and obviously, as we see with elections, you know, those voices matter a whole lot. So... This is why it's a little confusing, because if you have to go back all the way to 2006, there were two shows played in Michigan. There was a Grand Rapids show, and there was also Auburn Hills, which is basically Detroit. And they were both played on that May leg of the Avocado Tour. But since then, this show that we're doing today is the only show in Michigan that they have done. Seems a little absurd to me. Like, it feels like a, a place like this that you would think this was a very good crowd. And, and you know, like places, if you want to equate it to Hartford in a way, it's going to have the contingent of people coming in from Toronto to go down. So it's always going to be a very, very good crowd, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. It's in the, the Midwest. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit further north, but you've got Buffalo, I think, is fairly close by. Yeah, it's um, a... Okay, you've got your Cleveland's and Minneapolis and, you know, even Chicago. It's not a horrible travel to get up to Detroit. So, yeah, it's in that range where it's easily accessible for, for a few different people. And, uh, yeah, that's surprising. I always talk about, you know, at the drought that Atlanta's on right now. But that's a pretty good one for Detroit as well. That's surprising. I would have thought they would have been back. Hopefully, hopefully it's short-lived and uh, we'll hear something for them for next year. Yeah, I, I happen to think that, and I think both of us share this opinion, that if they were to have had a tour in the election season of 2020, that Detroit would have probably been a good spot to hit. But yeah. obviously, yeah. that's information that we'll never know. So, you know, now we sit here and it's what, eight years later, eight years after the fact on this, but we still haven't gotten anything even in really the vicinity like the closest place that you could say is probably toronto but even so it's a whole different idea where toronto is a canadian show and detroit's a u.s show they're kind of completely different ideals so yeah definitely. it's good to have this one in the bag it's good to cover it a lot of people like it i happen to really like it too but you know there is a good talking point between the two of us because the two of us were actually, you know, we did not know each other at this time. We were both at the Memphis show that happened on the 14th. Detroit happened on the 16th of October in 2014. And 
we didn't know each other. We, I don't think we even met each other that night, but we were both on rail very, very close to each other. So we both basically had the same exact experience. Now, I think when you talk about this and talk about men really missed out in this little period of time here, of course, your mind immediately draws to both Moline and Milwaukee. But I kind of felt it a little bit after Memphis that, you know, the Detroit show, I looked at that set list and heard some of the things that happened. I'm like, yeah, this this was a really good show. I'm not disappointed by anything that happened in Memphis. I, I, I was really kind of, I wouldn't say jealous that they got it, but I was I was impressed. I was very impressed that Detroit got a show like this. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember thinking that. I remember Memphis, I liked a lot. But I think it was just overshadowed by what happened in Moline and Milwaukee. I think af- after that, like Detroit was again just fell into that kind of afterthought category. I think the only thing I would have really been chasing would have been light years, really, at the time. And then, but I've gotten it since then, so I don't really look back on this as like a missed opportunity kind of a show. But yeah, I mean, two shows kind of similar for being very kind of regional specific and like having a, having a lot to do with the music history around that area and and the band really tailoring the performance to the city and the history there. We can go on and talk about what we did at Memphis, but that would overshadow who our guest that's going to come on and talk about this right now would be talking about this show that we're actually covering. So Memphis, you'd have to go back to episode six in order to hear what we said about Memphis. That was a very, very long time ago. It probably is nothing like the episodes that you hear now. You probably won't even hear John's voice in that. Actually, you definitely won't hear John's voice in that. So I think we leave that one in the past a little bit, and we stick on Detroit and get to our Horizon Leg patron, Freddie Blood, and see why he chose this and what he had to say about this show. So let's get to Fred. I took somebody to it, so I heard it through somebody else's ears at the time. But it was just like, man, this is like a greatest. This is just a really good show. That was the opening, the three song opener. You know, there's the release, Oceans and Nothing Man. It's like they did like Amongst the Waves. So they're like good songs from each album. Uh, there's Red, Black and Yellow. So, so the super rare one was short. So somebody didn't have to like, wasn't you know, it just seemed like a really good one. At the time, not having known that Jesus Leeds was great that year, that was that was a pretty good tour. After I started looking at all the other stuff, because I used to not pay attention to that, or I guess I I just didn't know. I didn't I didn't I never thought about going to multiple shows. So you know, and I just thought, man, this was a this is a good one. You know, there was a there was there was plenty of old stuff. You know, it was it seemed like a nice mix to me at the time, because like I was thinking, there's you know, some of the other shows that that like the man, two thousand six was a great one, but it was re- really really heavy on that album. You know, it was and it like it seemed to me that the the Detroit show wasn't well, it wasn't all lightning. It was it was like everything. It was a mix of everything. So I kind of you got it. some of the Motor City flavor in there with some of those tags and covers. It was neat, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. All that was it. Just was a neat, neat one. Ed's banter was really good about the, you know, which uh, I've discovered is he's just good all the time. You know, it's just, but you know, the, the hockey and the all the banners and the, the the place was old and it was neat and and it was there's banners everywhere. You know, it was really it was a cool building to be in. Uh, which isn't there anymore. 
Could you pick three favorite moments from that show that you really enjoyed? Or, you know, the ones that kind of lasted the last eight years or so? No, I'm going to have to, yeah, uh, this might not be the best ones because I didn't think about that ahead of time. But it's, I'm going to have to stay, the beginning, the beginning nailed it for me. The, the, like, I was just hoping, I was like, let this be a good, you know, like, you, you know, this is always a good opener, but, you know, let this be a good one. And I happened to be not with the person I was, I was, I was out getting beer and on purpose because I knew it was like time. So I didn't, didn't want to be near, you know, I wanted her to get it and without me standing there being part of it. And then I totally forgot that she was even there because it got me. It was, you know, Ocean's release or release Ocean's Nothing Man. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, it seemed like one long song, <laughs> you know, in a, in a lovely way. So that was that was that was that was a moment. So that even though it was three songs, just the opening. And then Lightning Bolt was amazing because I didn't. I didn't dislike it or anything like that, but I also didn't get it. Like, my, it wasn't my favorite on the album. It wasn't, you know, it, it was just another song on their album. When I heard that one live, it there, and even when I like got the bootleg, because I was like, was that really good or did I just I don't know? But I, I, I that that version of Lightning Bolt turned me into a fan of that song a lot. Uh, so I certainly liked that. Oh, Light Years. Because it, it just, you know, hearing that one live is something else. Uh, it's it's just always going to be good, you know, to hear that one. Like, right off the top of my head, those moments were good ones. Like, because I didn't care. You know, didn't, can't say I didn't care for Lady Bolt. But I had heard it already. I mean, I had seen the Pittsburgh show, too. So I'd heard it live. It just didn't stick. But, boy, I, I liked it after, you know, a year later, after Detroit. I... For some reason, that version of got me. Uh, Sometimes that's what it takes for some of the songs, you know. All right. Well, that was great stuff from Fred, as always. Thank you so much. And if you are interested in hearing more from Fred, because he has got some great stories out there. He's got stories about 1991 shows, 92 shows, and he was at six shows before Versus came out, which is pretty impressive, and he has a lot of good things to say about that. That will be a Horizon Leg profile that's going to come out later this week on the Patreon platform, but Horizon Leg profiles are always free to everybody, so if you're not a patron, you are able to listen to that at any time as well. So... Before we get into the show, let's talk a little bit about the question of the week. This seems to be a recurring theme here and good way to kind of think about what we're doing in the show and bring you guys into it as to you know what you could be waiting for. And the question I had this week was, who are some of your hometown area bands that you would like to see Pearl Jam cover tag or pay a tribute to the next time they come around your hometown so we got a lot of pretty cool answers here the first one coming from uh, ryan and he asked for how about some violent femmes in milwaukee doing gone daddy gone i think that that would be a nice little throw because who else in milwaukee are you going to go for i think he says the promise ring as well which i know you you're really into them so more of a madison thing though not a i don't think that's a milwaukee thing maybe yeah yeah, they might have been a from there around there gone daddy gone's a a good call that'd be great also there's a connection to gone daddy gone because gnarls barkley actually ended up covering that 
and you know who was a touring member of Gnarls Barkley for a little while in sort of their their mid two thousands run was actually Josh Klinghoffer. So there's a connection of sorts there. He wasn't really in the band, but he he toured around with them. So you never know that that could be on the table, perhaps. Josh is a talented kid. He's probably still remembers that. I'm sure he could break it out. I would think so. Let's see. How about a Vancouver show? Them doing a cover of Summer of '69. Um, not for me. Uh, hmm. What about going to New Jersey and doing a Misfits song? That's interesting, but I think New Jersey, the shadow of Springsteen looms so large that I don't think Mm -hmm. there's room for anything else there. Yeah, that's fair. What would you say that they would do? What song would they do? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. As we're in Detroit, somebody called for uh, a White Stripes cover, which we don't get it here, but we get to talk about Jack White at the show. And they've done White Stripes before. Yeah, they did. We're going to be friends. You're right. And then some Minneapolis people asking for replacements. I don't know if they've done the replacements in Minneapolis. I know that they've done them in... There was an Alex uh, Chilton tag. Yeah, Austin City Limits, where replacements were playing as well. So... Obviously, that's a good one. Oh, be great. They would be up for it. How about from Josh from Facebook? You're going to have no problems with this one. Fugazi, <laughs> D.C. Yeah, I mean, I, we know that Ed will pull out the organ and do I'm So Tired. I can see like an I'm So Tired into River Cross, maybe. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So they wouldn't bring Suggestion back. Oh, maybe that'd be something. I mean, they brought it back, what, in 2018 after a long, long time? So maybe. Yeah, just for Pink Pop, I believe, right? Yep. yep. You never know. Yeah. Yep. I'll take one more. I mean, I got. I guess I got to go with Long Island here. Matt actually said Mariah Carrier LL Cool J. You could do much better for Long Island, guys. Matt's just much, much I, we, we We hear you, Matt. I, I, I see what you're doing there. I don't think they'd ever do Billy Joel, but I can see like a tag of Don't Fear the Reaper on something, Blue Oyster Cult. I can see like a little bit of Blue Oyster Cult. Not, not something in depth. I don't think they, I think it would just be sort of progression of daughter and Ed has it in his mind or something. But yeah. we know they probably I, don't I, want to come back to Long Island. I got to pull out mine, which is the Sean Smith tribute mr pink by by satchel in in seattle would be i don't know if you guys are familiar with with mr you're pink not from seattle. seattle i know but like it's it's right in pearl jam's wheelhouse would be amazing and since i really don't know any connecticut bands off the top of my head i'm just gonna not have an answer for this but thank everybody <laughs> for having answers for this it's always good when people participate and hopefully we can bring more questions of the week for you guys to answer and give us some good responses. So thank you for all your participation for this week. And now we have a bit of an episode to get through. As Freddie mentioned in his discussion about why he chose this show, he said one of his favorite moments was seeing this little three-song kickoff here, release into oceans, into nothing, man.
pressed to believe that they'd kick off any other show with three from the first three albums kind of deal. You know, you have two from 10, but you also have one from Vitalogy as well. Because they were playing Pendulum so much that I don't know if any of these openings had the real early stuff on it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought about that. Probably not. When you get into release, it sets the entire mood. And we all know this with release, but it's one of those versions that, that can and it makes the connection with the crowd right away burst with passion from ed he's holding on to some of these notes like at the end you can tell you know he's turning 50 later that year you can really tell that he has to work on it you know coming off of memphis that we both know he was sick in memphis so i'm sure some of that sort of lingered into this show you can tell in little little spots but you can also tell when he's working really really hard to get something in and from that aspect i think it's a pretty impressive vocal performance here and even with lyric changes that that you hear in the middle there oh dear matt can you see me now i'm wondering who that is in reference to unsure but you can tell that ed had something on his mind during this yeah i heard that too i don't know what that was in reference to but I love this version of Release. I thought it hits in all the spots that Release needs to hit. It's a very, very good Matt performance. I thought really hitting those moments where the song swings and grooves, like gets to a certain point and starts to soar. Release is obviously probably the best opening song that they have. And this one I thought was a good one for all the right reasons. And then Oceans to follow up. If you're hearing this right now, you might think, okay, these two songs when have they ever been in a set together, let alone back-to-back here? And I have both of those answers for you. Back-to-back, this is the one. That's it. They never did it in 91 or 92, where they had the most opportunities to, but played at the same show, seeing as these have basically been around since day one, 12 times. That's it. 12 times. It doesn't make sense at all. That I remember when we came up with this, I was for the Concertpedia review for the website, looking at this like, man, they'd never done these two back to back. And it took nearly 25 years for that to happen. That's amazing. This is just one of those things that like you wonder, like, did he know? Was he saving this for a certain point or did it just come out? And then like, oh, hey, that's cool. I don't think we've ever done that before. Let's give it a shot. Honestly, could go either way. Who knows? And he'll say he'll say at some point in this show when we get to talk about a certain riot act song a little bit later that they're not up to date on things like this. But whenever something does come up, it's it's up to to us to kind of let them know, hey, like you haven't done this song for a long time, or you haven't done these two back to back, or something like that. So. I don't know. I don't know if that was knowledge that he had information to prior to this, or he just looked at them together and said, yeah, this is the night. But I thought Ocean sounded really good as well. And I think that, you know, Boom actually had a really nice role in this version and kind of lended a little bit of what sounded like a, a string quartet, what they would do on that. It was just kind of a, a very subtle backing. to 
emotions it's just you can't get over the fact that like this is the first time that that they've been played and listening this like man this is something we're never going to talk about again um, unless they break it out at some point in the future but i thought it sounded really good like you you look at it on paper and you might think like oh like two openers like maybe it's not going to sound good but i thought they worked really well together i thought oceans yeah definitely benefited by having release in front of it this is a really good opening kind of slow top three here Yep, you're going to finish that off with Nothing Man. Of course, that's going to be your crowd connection moment. And it's also going to do a really nice job of taking the top three and kind of building you up and then setting you up for what's going to come with the next handful of songs. And, you know, Nothing Man is a perfect go-to to get to go. All right, let's do this is what Ed would say. And you need something to explode out of that. And Go was probably one of the best possible choices. This version of Go rips, though. It's it's classic McCready, letting the moment take over, going off on the solos. I think they really came out firing from the beginning of this set. And then following up a very solid energy on Minor Manners. But I think the biggest talking point in this probably has to be the intro in the Corduroy, which is going to be our first of many tributes to Detroit bands. It's going to be a tribute to the Stooges. I want to be your dog. Interest quarterly. What's your thought on this? Because in the same way of Interstellar Overdrive, once it gains a little bit of momentum, it has a little bit of a surge and you're able to kind of bounce with it a little bit and then it stops and then Corduroy comes in. And I thought that that reminded me of Interstellar Overdrive a lot. Maybe it's because that's the standard bearer of Corduroy intros, but I think it did the same job. Yeah, I've seen this one a couple of times. I really thought it was interesting. It gives kind of the same almost like stomp rhythm that really good versions of Corduroy have and that good versions of Corduroy get to. I think if they had stuck with this, if this had become more of a thing, they would have been able to make it more of a seamless transition and get it to where it can really elevate both songs. But like, I thought this was really, really cool. You know, listening to it, I'm like, cause you know, you look at the, we have live footsteps now and I know that this is just a tag, but I almost felt kind of like, it, picturing myself in the crowd and thinking like oh like don't stop like keep keep doing this like let, let's let's do a full i want to be your dog right now like it's such an iconic like rock and roll hard rock riff and like the rhythm of it is so good and stone sounds really good on it and like I, yeah i wanted them to keep going with it yeah agreed i totally agree and i think little things like this is what made me think after memphis like ooh, i missed that that's something you don't get again 
And from that standpoint, I don't know why, because again, it, it fits the same mold as Interstellar Overdrive. It gets people hyped up and people kind of know it. And once you play it more and more, people are going to know it more and more. You kind of let it sit there and let it evolve a little bit. And then people will maybe be anticipating it as the beginning of Corduroy. And yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And Corduroy is a great moment too. It has some really cool parts here. You know, the cut up and fucking dead. Uh, that was a cool little enunciation there. And then egging the crowd on to do the peace line by saying, you know this one. And then during the bridge, he was just imploring for them to go off. And I think that this was really another moment of very many that Ed's going to directly talk to the crowd and say, let's go. Let's get on this, and the crowd obliges every single time. It's a good crowd show. So yeah, there was, there was a little moment in Corduroy too. I think when the song gets to that stop, you see Ed strums through the break there, and like it's like he can't wait. Like uh, I'm feeling this right now. I'm, I'm, I got to keep going. I'm not, I don't even want to stop. That was a cool moment. Just one little thing in the in the song that like made me kind of perk up and take notice and be like, oh okay, this is a good version. They're feeling it. Okay, so there's going to be a lot of Ed speeches. We're going to do our best to sort of consolidate and get to the actual talking points. But this one's real easy. It's just good evening and cheers to you. This is one of the best sounding rooms that we played in a very, very long time. This is also the first time that they had played the Joe Lewis Arena. So that's, that's very interesting. Has it been torn down at this point? Didn't we hear yes. that it, it's not there anymore? It's not there anymore, no. I, I would say about in 2017, 2018, they, they took it down, and uh, now the Red Wings play in the Little Caesars uh, okay. arena or whatever it is. But, yeah, no, it, it's gone, and now it's another facility, which it's, a, again, a historic building. So they were playing it for the first time and said that the banners that were all hanging up, there's a lot of Red Wings banners because they won a lot of championships. They said it's good for sound because obviously the sound reverberates off the banners, but he also said that's why Seattle sounds like shit. So, a little dig at the hometown, but that's okay. It gets you into Lightning Bolt and then Amongst the Waves. Lightning Bolt had a really fun energy to it. I think this was one that Freddie brought up that he really liked. And you, you can tell the more that they played it during this era, they just kept getting better at it every show. And I remember so many people that I was around in Memphis when either before the show or when they played it, people were really, really feeling it and they were really excited for it. And you don't get to say that a whole lot about the new song sometimes, especially more than a year after the album came out. Yeah, it was definitely, I think, the one that became the gold standard early on from that record that, like, this is going to be a great live song. And I, I agree, I thought this version was very, very good. It gets a little bit jammy at the end, like some of their best stuff does. And I thought, yeah, benefited from what came before it. And the band was really having a good time on, on stage, you could tell, like really feeling it. There's a really good call and response afterwards, which always lets you know that like Ed's in a good mood. He's testing out the crowd early. He's going to see what they've got because he's got some stuff planned for later. Yeah, now the next couple songs, like back and forth and back and forth here, you're going to have a lot of Ed talking to the crowd, like I had mentioned before. So he does stop before Amongst the Waves, and he said, you know, we're going to play this for some couples that have been together for a long time. Amongst the Waves sounds really nice, and it kind of struggles between two songs that you can consider showstoppers, because right before is obviously Lightning Bolt, and then we're going to get Even Flow right afterwards. So after 
amongst the waves, though, another story comes in, and this is Ed talking about in 1991, where they played twice in Detroit, and then came back and played the Masonic Temple, which Ed said was the next year, but actually it ended up being 1994, which that's a very, very interesting little run there that Pearl Jam had in that year, So that, and stuff that we talked about before, for sure. He said that there were seven songs at the first two and 15 at, at the last one, but we played this next song at all three shows so some things stay the same but others get better even flow again crowd is very good on it and mike solo was kind of of a different character because it didn't kick off right away into the blistering stuff it kind of had to evolve into that and then it just ended up being extremely eddie van halen influenced tricks are out there getting the feedback from the amps so you get the hendrix influence too but i i thought very very eddie van halen on this yeah i'm i think i've said this before some of my favorite even flow solos are the ones where he just wails and like holds that one note for a long time and really lets it hang and builds that tension and gets the crowd going with just like you can see him with the head back and like just feeling those notes as they go yeah i really like this a lot and yeah like you said it does get to a more kind of traditional hero worship solo but i thought it started out very very good the whole first half of this main side i thought was excellent yeah, really well done, and I don't think that the second half is really going to let up at all, so we have a lot more to talk about. Before we do, how many times has Ed asked during a show that, that we've talked about, that we've seen, that he's like, Mike, what's your middle name? And he gets his middle name. I think it even happened at one point this year. Michael David McCready, he's recognized, and then he makes kind of a quip about Matt's middle name and said, you know, I don't know what his parents were thinking or what they were doing, but his middle name is fucking. And then he holds up a sign in the crowd that reads just that. So then we're going to get into a story coming back from Memphis where on that day that they played in Memphis, one of Jack White's bandmates in a solo act, Ike Owens, had passed away pretty tragically. And this was a nice little tribute to go out to Ike and to go out to the band. And he says, look, a few of you are out there. Anytime you get a crowd as big as this, you're going to deal with people that have dealt with loss. So what we're going to do here is a little bit of healing. We're going to take the energy and we're just going to put it out there, put it somewhere we can remember it fondly. And that's where it's going to get you into maybe the best highlight of the night, which is light years.
they really set the table beautifully for it. I think it goes to show how much respect that they have for not only Jack, but this is a friend. And he, I think he mentioned something about brothership, either at this show or the Memphis show, where he's just like, you know, we, we all stick together, we all know each other, we all respect each other. And you can really feel it during this version. You can feel him taking that and sort of making it a redeeming moment, making it a healing moment for himself. And like he said, back for the rest of the crowd as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought my years was, was definitely a highlight. I really like too when uh, when Ed will will do those vocalizations at the end. Like he's not singing words; he's just like using his voice as an instrument there at the end. It's almost like this mournful kind of wail. Always like versions where he does that, and, and this is a really good one. Yeah, it sounded like in that part he was saying like I'm calling something like that, and. It, he doesn't do that every single time, but I, I, I kind of felt like he had a little bit to say. But, I, you know, what I, what I like from versions like this, and I think that you can tell when this is a dedication to somebody because he changes the lyrics to, we all need you here. And Mike and Jeff are playing with one another, and Jeff trades off of Ed, and it looks like everybody was feeling the same kind of thing. It wasn't just Ed, it was everybody in the band that had a connection to this, and, and were feeling pretty bummed about losing a friend. So this was the perfect moment to do something like this, a perfect tribute. And even afterwards, Ed calls a tech over, and you can see after he gives him his guitar and, and talks to him about whatever, you can see the tech kind of pat him on the shoulder. And I'm wondering if that is an acknowledgement for how difficult it was to get through that. two here don't have a lot on these two but they're right smack dab in the middle of the set i think the spot that both these songs are very good in and that's got some which yeah okay make fun of me all you want and dissident and you know i i, I thought that the crowd had a lot of fun with got some on this and i think that something a little bit off with the dissident intro but they ended up figuring it out and you know even at the end of dissident might kind of elevates it a little bit so these are two good ones to kind of buffer two big moments that kind of sandwich it together that we'll get to the second one right now. So Ed mentions something about dissident being a request and said it was misspelled when somebody made the request and said it was probably by a hockey player. But the next one is going to be about a basketball player says the guy who it's written about was going to show up, but couldn't make it. And it's probably a good thing because it means he's taking care of himself. If he was in the situation right now, he'd lose his fucking mind. He would end up getting that situation two years later. So 
you know, hopefully he was in a good spot back then as well. But this is going to be black, red, and yellow for Dennis Rodman here. It's one of the most ultra rare songs that's in the catalog. And at this performance here, it's number six out of seven to date. Potentially Perpetually the previous song Swallowed Hole was supposed to be on the list and I think after Dissident there was something going on with Ed you'd mentioned after Light Years the tech coming out and kind of giving him a pat on the back I wonder if it was maybe he was feeling some effects of being sick or the voice could see after Dissident he tells Stone like hey cut the next song we're, we're skipping that one so they did not do Swallowed Hole but they get straight to Black Red Yellow I'm definitely glad they did not cut Black Red Yellow Swallowed Hole was definitely the right call there because Black Red Yellow is just one of those weird cool songs that I love by them yeah crazy they've only done it seven times you know was lucky to be there for the seventh but a unique version I don't think we get any other ones where they no. go and do a Ted Nugent thing halfway through but interesting nonetheless yeah before getting into Ted Nugent I, I, I will say that's interesting what you brought up about his voice because it does sound in this version that Ed does utilize a lot of it that he's getting the rough side of his voice out and he's really going for it and i'm wondering you know maybe he thought we're gonna send this tape to rodman we want it to sound good we don't do it a whole lot but yeah the ted nugent stuff guess you know when you think of detroit rock and roll music motor city stuff you think about ted nugent but 
you know, you don't really want to think about Ted Nugent the human being because it's it doesn't really like vibe with what Ed and Pearl Jam are about. Yeah, this and feels like a McCready thing for sure. Well, I you say that, but Mike actually, if you go back to the New Year's Eve show in 1992, I specifically remember Mike doing a snippet of Stranglehold and then saying something along the lines of, they made me do this. I don't even like Ted Nugent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they just kind of felt like, hey, when we're in Detroit and we don't have any opportunities to do this in the future, and obviously as we sit here right now, they didn't. And maybe they just thought, okay, we're doing Detroit Rock City later. We're doing Kick Out the Jams later. So shit. All right. Why, why the hell not? But what a, overall, what a weird place to put it, though. Like, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. Like, what else is going to go there? You know, that's that's sort of a bridge that kind of keeps on going, and that's obviously where you hear the Rodman answering machine. Yeah. But I thought it sounded good. Yeah, it just seemed like a weird place to throw in a thing like that in in the rarest song you're going to play on the night. Felt weird. And I get like, yeah, it's got that weird bridge with the answering machine part, and maybe they didn't know what else to do. But then when it goes back into black, red, yellow, it's it feels kind of weird. And it's just like it kind of threw took me out of it a little bit. The song Stranglehold happens to be a cool little riff, and I'll take that for what it is. But yeah, you know, it was a good version overall, and you know, obviously they don't play it very often, so anytime that they do, it's always going to be one of the biggest takeaways from the show where it pops up and you know you've seen it once i saw it once i don't know if i saw version four or five one of those two but any one of the seven is is pretty impressive to get and hold on your mantle for sure ed says here speaking of legends there's somebody from seattle that's here tonight haven't seen him outside of seattle in a long time and while you may not know his first name, you know our group and definitely know his last name. So sing this fucking thing as loud as you can to make him feel loved and wanted in an exotic place like Detroit. It's a quiet sing-along. So, of course, it's Lucan. the answer to the Dear Matt and release. Ah, there we go. See, even we were fooled by that, and we both knew that Matt was his first name, but that's a very good call. You know, as we're going to see later, it seemed like he was pointing out Matt Lucan in, in GA, but I'm not sure if yeah. that was that. So we'll, we'll get back to that one. Yeah. He was in, so you're saying he was definitely in GA. I, I thought, I thought maybe he was joking on that a little bit, but we can get to that when it when it pops up. So the combo here is Luke and not for you, and then once is going to follow up on that. I think that not for you is a really good talking point because how often do you hear another song's patented chant happen during a totally different song?
didn't feel random at all, but it felt like when you're listening to it for the first time, you're almost like, that's recognizable, but something's up. And that's the, the daughter call and response that happens on Not For You, the hey, 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 hey. But so I had never heard that before. I've heard other things happen in the Not For You bridge, but not this. And I thought it was excellent. I thought it was really good. It was just another thing, honestly, that was all the crowd. That wasn't Ed. That was the whole crowd that did that. And you're not getting daughter at the show, so I'm wondering if they thought, like, okay, well, we haven't heard it yet, and this is usually the spot for it, so we're just going to do it. That's a smart crowd. That's a smart crowd that can put all that together. Yeah, I thought it worked really well. There's a moment early on when, you know, you see on the video, Ed and Jeff are talking to each other while they're playing, like they're having a conversation. I'm not a good lip reader. So I could not figure out what they were talking about, but I thought it was interesting. I wonder if something was going on with the set or something else with the song. I, I did think Not For You was, again, a very, very good version. It gets to the ending, which is very, very cool. You know, Not For You, some of the best versions from 94, 95 have that incredible ending. And this one I thought was, was also very good. And then you get to the end and you're thinking, okay, here comes Modern Girl, but then no Modern Girl lyrics. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Like something's uh, going on with his voice still. Maybe, or maybe it was just like, okay, this is just let it play out. Who, who knows? But, I, yeah. you know, it, it's cool. It's cool when they do things different. And I think Not For You had a couple of things that weren't the normal standard Not For You practice, especially in the latter half of their career. And I like those versions when you can get a little bit different because after the show, that becomes a talking point. So, yeah, definitely a nice version of it here. Once, I think you're going to get once before Rearview Mirror, which is really going to be before another big speech. But I thought they did a really good job connecting with the crowd on that one, too. Lots of great chants and bumming their fists and everything. That's that's what you want to accomplish with once. I think they really got there with that. Now... Probably one of the things when going back to the show, you'd say, hey, they did I Want to Be Your Dog, they did Stranglehold, they did Black, Red, Yellow, but I think a lot of people will go back to this moment, especially the people that are the collectors, the people that were obsessed with the Riot Act tour. I think a lot of people are going to go back to this moment and say how memorable it was for them. So Ed is looking at a sign here. And he's kind of like, what? What? Oh, numbers and three, seven. He's like, that's a lot of math, man. 3,745 days, which is 326 shows since we last played a song called Get Right. We played it in Detroit. We played it in That's it. That's a Matt Cameron song. Can I tell him what it's about or does it, does it have to remain a mystery? Get right. It's, it's, it's a, we don't remember it. I, there's just something, it's a very, very hard, we just don't remember it. The irony is that it's a song about smoking pot. <laughs> we can't remember it. We should, we should learn that one, just so guys like this will stop showing up with their fucking songs telling us about all our inadequacies. 
So thanks very much. Otherwise we'd be lazy fucking bastards, not giving a shit. So thanks for thanks for caring. That's a good acknowledgement. And sometimes for songs that you see signs in the crowd for, Ed will just look at that and be like, no, 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 no. And he won't even say the song's name. He just said, nope, not doing it, not doing it. This was a really good acknowledgement and a nice story into you know the history of Get Right, I suppose. And it's another connection, too, because it shows that they're aware of these deep collector people who are chasing the songs, and they understand that that's something that people are into. And the, it just gives you, like, oh, okay, like, so he knows, like, he gets it. They could have easily been like, oh, you know, like, fuck that song. Why, why do you even care, you know? But they're, they're not that kind of band. They have that connection and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this sign that this guy brought and then all this math. And... If you were ever going to get get right, like, and I think there's a point where, I don't know if it was Stone or, or Mike, but someone started to play something, and I thought, like, oh, they're, like, like get right, they're, they're working it out. Like, but yeah, it didn't sound, it didn't sound good. It didn't sound like they were starting get right. But there's a moment there where you're like, oh, are they going to try? Is this going to be like a, like a Satan's bed moment where they're going to try to, like, work their way through it and, and yeah. like, give us kind of a, a half-assed version? But... Yeah, I know Get Right's one that that a lot of people would would like to see come back, myself included. I love that song, but wasn't to be on the night, but you do get a pretty cool acknowledgement and kind of awareness that Ed knows. And like the fact that it didn't come back after this tells you that it's not coming back. Yeah, or, you know, maybe they have it in their back pocket for the next time they do play Detroit. I I don't think so. I don't think so either, but it's, it it is kind of right. I think maybe the time to bring it back in 2014 would have been the Denver show because they played like a 38 song set that night. And, you know, it was a plethora of rarities and I'm sure that if they felt comfortable with it and wanted to do it, they could have done it there. But also then there's a little bit of like, sorry to the guys in Detroit that didn't get their wish. But I, I don't know. I'm more on the side of, yeah, there, it's probably not happening ever again, but it's a band that can surprise you in so many ways. Sweet Lou has come back. It's not a, an original, but Street Fighting Man came back for the first time since 1994. Whether or not they know all this, they can consider all options. And we just need to get, we need to get Klinghoffer on board with Get Right. That seems to be the ticket, as Ed would yeah. say. Like, you know, yeah. Klinghoffer knows just about everything, and he kind of is the stat liaison, so to speak. So, yeah, if we can ever get Klinghoffer on the show, then we're going to be like, here's your list. Here's your list. Yep. Yep. Go influence the guys. Or Andrew so, Watt. Andrew Watt would be another one, yeah. yeah. So, all right, before getting into River Mirror, Ed does a little bit of thanking people somebody that worked in NASCAR and also somebody that I think is there that has EB somebody named Eric Kolakowski. And that's just my 
hunch was that he was somebody with EB because he said, here's to the courage and resilience of Mr. Eric. So, you know, he, he talks about EB and that's very, very early on in you know, him trying to get the awareness out. And obviously, as we all know now, they've they've done plenty of live streams since this date. At the very least, we're all aware of it now. And I think a lot of people in this community have taken the cause very seriously and said, let's help them out. And from the last time we talked to Jill, she feels pretty confident that they can find a cure in the next 10 years, which is really, really something special. So they're going to end the set with River Mirror. So... We get a real big fuck off in that beginning, and Ed overall is very, very emphatic here, leading to a couple of epic moments from him, especially just screaming out in the beginning, you are forgiven. So, you know, there there are some shenanigans that happen during this, but I guess performance-wise, I thought that Stone kind of made this version go a little bit. It sounded like he was taking the lead role with some of the sound there, and it sounded like everybody was kind of following him up, and then Matt sort of put his stamp on it and put his place in it, and they were able to kind of drive with him. But it sounded like Stone was really the one to sort of take the lead. But after Musical.ly, I think this kind of becomes about, look, there's no porch on this show, so there has to be a moment where the orbs come down. And if there's a moment where the orbs come down, then there's like a 50% chance that one of those orbs is going to shatter into pieces. And, you know, we get to play a little baseball, and that's exactly what happens. So I always wonder when this does happen, though, what, what do you think that glass is made out of? Because I, I think that before going into these shows, they're probably thinking, well, okay, it's going to happen. So maybe it's like sugar glass or something like that, where it won't hurt if you, if you step on it or anything like yeah. that, and it's very yeah, easily maybe. breakable. Who knows? There's some, some kind of plastic, like, hybrid thing. Yeah, I can, I can see that. But, I mean, the story of this, too, is when Ed, like, he really reaches back to, to get a good hit on it and then completely falls backwards on the monitor and falls on his ass. That's what you get for trying to be cool and trying to be the guy who's going to do the rock and roll move and smash the thing. Like, he totally bites it and, like, completely falls backwards. It's really hilarious. And he's going to have another moment with the guitar where he's going to do something similar a little bit later, and it's going to take him a second to get to that point. Overall, River Mirror was very, very good. I thought that this main set, it felt like a long hour and 30 minutes, and maybe that was due to all the speeches that happened, but to get 17 songs out of that it felt like you know listening to it for quite a while but all pretty good stuff here all pretty good eight, stuff. eight minutes of rearview mirror and I, I i agree too you mentioned cameron i thought cameron just took over the ending of the song it was just on fire all right we're at the encore let's pause for station identification and talk about some things important things that are coming up and before we get into anything else let's thank a brand new patron that we actually just ended up getting today which is very very exciting so we want to thank tasker hewitt for joining up on patreon and not only that we got a brand new Horizon Leg patron over here. Thank you so much. And not just a Horizon Leg patron, but somebody that paid for the year's subscription, which is just awesome. So many reasons to thank you for that. And you're not going to hear the last of Tasker. He's He signed up for the setlist draft, which we'll get into in a minute or so. But yeah, excited to have you aboard and excited because, you know, this episode we started off with, with Freddie Blood's story. So Tasker, you're going to get your own episode as well 
and I wonder what show you're going to pick. So that's that's always exciting to us when you guys are in that position to say, we're going to give you a new story, a new show that might not be on your radar. Tusker, definitely go to liveonfourlegs.com. Go to podcast episodes, Patreon exclusives. You can and check out all the back catalog of episodes there. Everything from the Bridge School series, all the Evolution episodes, late night series that we've been doing, all that stuff is there for you to check out. Not just Tasker, it's for everybody. Whether yep. you're a patron, not a patron, you can just go look and see. And if that's yep. enough to get you guys in and aboard on this, then hopefully you do jump aboard. You know, I think John has the right idea to do it too because it's hard when you're on the patreon app like we've been doing stuff for four years now so there's stuff like early early evolution episodes that are way 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 down uh, where you have to scroll a long way and and sometimes it's hard to to find that stuff so yeah for people that are patrons or people that want to decide whether or not the content is worth it for them definitely look on the website and go through the patreon exclusives and there's a lot more than you would think and there's also a lot more coming what's coming up on the radar maybe within the next week or so is an evolution episode for wma we've said this a million times the evolution episodes are our favorite things to do maybe even more so than the actual regular shows that, that we do all the time every week. But it's some serious researching, and it's going down into the depths of Pearl Jam history and and even a little bit of the timeline of when things happen, and especially in WMA, uh, timeline a little bit about what's going on in this country and, and all that. So it's going to be a very good episode. Not disappointed about any episodes that we've done over in that series, but... It's WMA. There's a lot to talk about. Tags, full versions, it doesn't matter. There's going to be enough. So if that's something that you're interested in, well, maybe get it on your radar that we're going to do another Evolution episode before the year is out. So two Evolution episodes coming out in December. That's pretty impressive. Here's how you can join Patreon. Patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app, search for Live on Four Legs, you'll find us. Or if you were already searching for our exclusives on liveonfourlegs.com, you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and press the Become a Patron button. There are three tiers, the bonus leg, the giga leg, and the horizon leg tier. The giga and the horizon legs will both get you the episode request. So you can come up with a show that you'd like for us to talk about at some point in the future, and we'll put it on our list and we'll be happy to do it. And that's part of the patreon thing and it's also about getting in the community as well we have a good community over there and for anybody that does sign up for the set list drafts which we'll talk about in a minute or two then you guys will get the first dibs to play which everybody seems to be very very excited for so head on over to all those places that i just mentioned subscribe and we'll shout you out on the next show whenever you do end up subscribing but thank you everybody for your patronage that has been doing this for a long time a little bit of time anytime it's always good to hear from you guys so two more things i really want to mention maybe even three and i'll try to make these quick one this week, we started a brand new series on liveonfourlegs.com that counts down the top 100 songs, or actually, I should say, top 100 performances 
of 2022. It's a four-part series. We'll go through and we'll count all the songs and, and we'll talk about the best moments of the year. And it's just, you know, don't get all uptight about, oh, I don't like lists and things like that. This is just recounting some memories. That's all it is. And and the, the number factor isn't supposed to be, you know, a one thing is better than the other. It's supposed to be, here's what we think are 100 things from this year that you should know. So if you take it like that, then maybe you'll have an easier time digesting it because we had a couple of people that had some stuff to say to us and while they're entitled to their own opinion, you know, we're not trying to make everybody mad by doing some Pearl Jam content here. That would be very, very silly. So it's up on liveonfourlegs.com right now and head over there. You'll be able to read it, discuss, tell us what songs that you think are in your top moments and who knows? Maybe in 75 through the number one, maybe one of your songs will be on that. There's room for a lot. So hopefully you guys get to read that. It's not just me. It's the whole entire community through Live on Four Legs that have been writing this. And yeah, a lot of great contributions. So thank you to everybody that's been doing that. Also, set list drafts. We'll be doing another one that's going to come out next week. And then on the 18th of December... Get ready for it. It's going to be the live stream of the finals. So really excited about that. That will be exclusively on Facebook. So if you want more details, just join the Pearl Jam podcast community group on Facebook, and that will give you a head start into when everything's going on with that and more details as everything moves forward. The last thing to talk about here is the Christmas party that's coming up. That will be on December 15th. And that is open to everybody as well. We do this every year, the last three years. And, you know, it's a little bit of a gift exchange where people exchange some Pearl Jam gifts with everybody. And then we'll have some special guests. We'll have some performances and we'll have a good time. It's just kind of, again, recounting some memories and recounting some good things that happened in 2022, which everybody thinks of very fondly. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, just send us an email, live on podcast at gmail.com or a direct message anywhere that you can find us on the social media pages. And we'll let you know how to get in. We will send you a zoom link that probably will not be made public. Okay, I think that is all the information that you need for right now. Back to the rock. We are in the first encore here, and Ed kind of goes over and says that he's heard that Detroit has a nickname called the Paris of the Midwest. That's not something I had information on, did you? I never heard that before in my life. Yeah, not really. I don't know what makes it that, but hey whatever floats somebody's boat, I guess. But he actually mentions here that it would be nice to play in this building in the three or four years before they tore it down. And guess what? You lost your opportunity. So there's that. And then he talks a little bit about the alumni room for NHL players that's in there and then mentions a small urinal and says, that's weird that hockey players would use small urinals and suggest that maybe it's for the goalie. That will come back as a little kicker joke in a couple minutes or so, I think. But really, this is all about Chris Chelios here. He made the request of the next song, but also there seems to be a dude in the front that I guess is drunk enough to feel confident enough to say that he could take Chelios. I don't know exactly what he said, but he's talking trash. And then Ed tells him a story saying, the last guy that tried that, yeah, 
didn't work out. All I saw was his feet go through the ambulance door as they took him to the hospital. Chelios even got the guy to sign on a bar napkin that he wouldn't be held responsible. So, moral of the story, don't fuck with Chris Chelios. He has beat up a lot of people in his past, and although he's in his 50s now, yeah, just just don't mess with the dude. He's He's yeah, been around you, you for a better than that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ends that off saying, go home and play a video game and try to beat him up in there. That's as close as you're going to get. So the way you're going to kick this off, it's going to be these three here, Man of the Hour, Imagine, then Last Kiss. You know, for Man of the Hour, I, I usually like when the song has this, I guess, depth of character where it can get really quiet. It can get kind of sparse in ways. But I think after that Chelios thing i think that there was too much like of a lightheartedness positivity that was happening there where they couldn't really pull out a version like that which is the type of man of the hour that i always kind of go back to you know benaroy being obviously the 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 standout of course yeah this felt a little sloppy like i don't know if it was the point in the set or you know what they had been imbibing throughout the night and during the encore break but yeah it felt like it was it was missing some of the magic that the song usually has and look imagine as well is like the second or third time being played and after a while you just don't really have much else on it you guys know the song you guys know their version it's not much else so crowd participates on it and they're happy with the version, and it's obviously very, very early on in them doing it, so it still feels like a, a newer thing. However, for a rare instance on this program, podcast program, we're actually going to spend a couple minutes on Last Kiss here, because there is some talking points. So there seems to be a false start on it first, but they kind of figure it out. But after that, something is going on on Mike's side, and it prompts Ed to leave the stage to figure it out. And he's like going to the back side of the stage. And it, I don't know, because it seemed at first, and now that I'm thinking about it, it like could have been because he was saying, I want to go back there because he does end up in the crowd. But it seemed like something else was happening for him to check out because it kind of wraps around a little bit. So I don't really exactly know the the camera at one point it is kind of out of frame for a couple seconds or so you don't see what he's doing behind the stage but he definitely makes it into the crowd and and sings and hangs out with people there so that is that's that's a talking point yeah he spends almost the whole first part of the song getting and he's way out in the crowd. Like he spends some time going up some Never steps. Never seen to, him that much out to get, Yeah, to get to where he's going. And like, I couldn't tell like if there was an incident or if someone had had done something or someone had a sign. But it just felt like he wanted to go hang out with some people and sing the song. And it was cool. Like the people are definitely like, okay, this is cool. Dude came all the way out to us to sing. Awesome. And then he heads back. And then, again, no porch here, so he's going to go out into the front and do the porch thing during Last Kiss. It was very interesting. Yeah, that's uh, kind of going back to the to the orb thing with Rear yeah. Mirror. Like, you have yeah. to, these are standardized moments of Pearl Jam shows in 2013, 2014, so you need to kind of make space for something like this to happen. 
And yeah, he decides that last kiss is the moment. And I guess from that aspect, it wasn't being played towards the back. So I wonder if that kind of threw in a little bit. I wonder if they said we can't do it because there was something behind us or something like that. But it's cool stuff. And it lets the crowd know that Ed is sort of one with them. And I think it happened a couple times at the show where Ed really made a good connection like that. So it was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching it. All right. The two rockers that are going to happen here, we're going to get those first three that we just talked about, then two rockers, and then we're going to end it out with some big heavy hits that end the Encore 1. Comatose, that State of Love and Trust. State of Love and Trust is going to be a talking point in a second for a good reason, but Comatose, it seems like Stone is making a lot of, you know, really funny mannerisms. Seems like he's having a really good time with it. And, you know, for, for this era, wasn't a bad performance at all. We didn't get any hiccups from Ed anywhere, and it kind of gave the crowd a nice jolt of energy after that slow burn, so really not too bad. However, let's get the state of love and trust because we have a friend that's in on this, and that's part of the story, or allegedly, but we can kind of connect the dots together. So, okay, in the beginning, you can kind of hear Ed say, Clay, Clay, this one's for you. If you're thinking, if you know people within this community and you're like, oh, I know know somebody's name is Clay, that's because a good friend of ours, Clay Davis, we think and we're pretty sure that the moment is about him. So I texted him this weekend and said, hey, because he shared this on his profile episode and he also kind of reiterated this story to me when we were hanging out in Toronto as well because I guess I had totally forgotten about him telling this on the uh, profile episode, but... Here's his retelling of what happened that made Ed say this. He says, well, I believe Eddie overheard me and his friend Wes talking about hearing State of Love and Trust so many times that we can pass it on the sentence. We were pre-partying at the Chris Chelios bar around 2 p.m. Before the show, the bartender confirmed that Ed was there with Chris Chelios at the same time. But he was in a private room and apparently behind them, when he said all that, it was a big bar and not a lot of people. So it seemed like he didn't see Ed at all, but it sounded like there was an opportunity for Ed to be in the same kind of area and overhearing what's said. And I wonder if Chelios got kind of a hold of what Clay said as well, and they're, they're having a little chat and laughing that off. But that's potentially why they didn't notice Ed, because he was behind them. But I asked him, like, how did Ed actually know your name? So he said, I'm sure that Wes said it like four times in a row and said it kind of loud. So Ed probably picked up on that. And again, it could be a long shot, but not a lot of people in Detroit, I think, are named Clay that talked about State of Love and Trust on October 16th of 2014 in the same bar. So it would have to be very coincidental for it and not to bid about Clay Davis. I think so, if I remember too the, the end of the story the bartender was like, Yeah, Eddie Vedder was right behind you. Just yeah, the right. And he was like, Oh fuck, like yeah, so I'm sure he had a little moment when they played the song, like oh but, but it makes you think like how many of the dedications throughout the years have been out of spite from Ed or how many times this kind of thing has happened over the years. Right. But he said, Hey, look, love the performance, so yeah. you know, it ended up good, so but yeah, this is a good moment at the end of it, too. I think in the bridge, that's where Ed's pointing out Matt Lucan in the front. 
and Mike is also going down on the stone side to play a little bit towards the crowd over there. And now you're going to get to two big heavy hitters, as we just mentioned, Black and Better Man. It seems a little bit tired during Black. I don't know if you caught that, but it's it seemed like he's sort of using the crowd to fill in some spots so he can just take a second and catch his breath. And I wonder if he doesn't do that, if he's not able to kind of do that long, long all B uh, right after that. So I, I wonder if he's sort of thinking to himself, okay, I need to kind of prepare for a big moment. So crowd, you've been singing all these all night. You guys take it and I'll, I'll wait to get to the big part. But yeah, I, I you know, it's a little bit interesting about Black. I think it, the song overall had a really nice groove to it, but it seemed like Mike was going again, you know, like an even flow, a little bit too much Eddie Van Halen for Black, for my yeah. taste. But I, I mean, yeah, he, sometimes you just got to go off feel. And, you know, he's doing the whole looking up to the heavens and just playing with his heart. So if that's what his heart was saying at that moment, then who can blame him, you know? But I was thinking it's very interesting that on Black, we're going to get a little bit of the hammer on and, and, you know, sort of that Eddie Van Halen trick that he, he does sometimes. Yeah, I thought this was a really soulful solo from Mike and a very good version of Black. I think you're, yeah, you're definitely onto something with Ed's voice. I think he was starting to get a little fatigued here. We've seen hints of that throughout the night, and they were playing long shows, and they weren't taking as many breaks between shows as they do now. So I can definitely think that was part of this. But also a very, very good improv at the end of Black by Ed. I always love those little black improvs that we get. It's one of my favorite things that we get to talk about. Yeah, I caught like a little bit of all's well that ends well, and I hope I never have to see you again sort of thing. And yeah, you're right. It is a spot for that. And obviously, as we said, the crowd is on top of things all night. A little bit of the backing doo-doo-doo-doos in the background. So it sets up a nice little template for, for it all to sound really good. And Better Man is going to end up being your closer for Encore 1, and Encore 2 is just going to have eight that you know, hit you in about 20 minutes of time. So we'll get to that real quick. But a really good save it for later tag on Better Man. Ed was really charged yeah. up during his Don't Runaways. It felt like it got to another gear once he started doing that and kind of going off and off and off. But I think they kind of felt a big moment when Ed's doing those towns and windmills. And then he feels compelled enough to do a guitar smash, which does happen as much in this era or during better man at all it has to be a special moment where he's feeling it but also it kind of feels like it's taking him some time to prepare for it so he kind of does a little bit of like all right like warming up in a little bit and and they have to kind of almost do like a couple takes at the stamp at the end just to sort of time it out right but once he smashes that on the ground it's like the pinata just snaps right in half one hit and it was a really cool visual yeah, very intense, very crowd-heavy version of Better Man. And I thought this was really the kind of culmination, the peak of the night, really, because you mentioned Encore 2 is going to be real quick and they're going to bust through a lot of songs. You're going to get a live, which is always a big moment. It felt like Better Man was really the peak of the night, where the most energetic moment and like built up everything in this encore leading up to this. It was, it was a really good performance. Interesting. Interesting that you say that. Yeah, because it does kind of feel like because of the time and because they did have to rush eight songs, which 
Jeez, if you did six, then you're able to kind of space it out a little bit. But also you have wasted reprise in there, which is really like just a minute. So it's more like seven. But I get where you're saying whether or not I agree with it. I'm I'm not sure. I'd have to think about it. But yeah, I, I get that Better Man was definitely a big moment for this spot in the set. But now we're at Encore 2. And Ed says right off the top, this next little bit's going to go quick, so I just want to thank everybody. It's like Game 7 in here because of all of you. And the thing that we talked about with the small urinals, Stone has a theory about it. It's because the player's dicks hang so low that the only place they can go properly would be there. So that's a theory. That's a theory for you all, but again, I read it for me. Yeah, right. So... All right, Evolution, the reprise, then the actual Wasted. We get some good South American chants on the Stone solo, and even Ed kind of notices that they're doing it, and he's not prompting them at first, but he's like, oh, okay, you guys know the real version that you're doing here, and we do get another measure of that, so, you know, they, they are feeling a pretty good moment of that. Then, again, some more good Stone expressions on this. The big solo had a lot of them. Evolution was a really good way to start all of it, and then you got 35 minutes so you got some work to do so a little bit of a speech on the reprise said a little bit more stuff about ike and says a lot of stuff he's been taking for granted like why did you give me a sign i was grateful for life already but it was right after that fucking sign that i was like okay all right and i'm wondering that little bit you remember in milwaukee he kind of had a speech that was like that sort of that like oh you think you have it figured out and then you get another curveball i wonder if that's sort of connected to, to this in a little bit yeah i think i think it absolutely could be definitely interesting over that because life wasted is sort of that same idea of like what are you doing with your time here what you know like are you making the best out of this situation and I wonder if that was all thought out and interconnected, you know, right from the start. But, you know, I like Life Wasted in the late part of the set. I like it better in the early part of the set. But I will say right here, it doesn't quite feel like the Arena Rock killer late in the set like it would during the Avocado era. It just seemed to feel a little bit labored in spots and struggle in spots. It's a It's a song that is tougher for him in the later era of Pearl Jam. That's why we only got it once this year. Overall, it's a good rock and roll performance, but I think that it definitely was tougher to get through than than not. Uh, I thought it had a really good rhythm at the end. There were some really, I think Matt and and Jeff and Stone were doing some really interesting things rhythmically near the end of the song. And then a very good solo from Mike. I, I won't say it's up to the level of St. Louis from this year, but very, very good still. So I think it felt like the rest of the band was kind of like picking up for where Ed was starting to, to drop a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. But now you're going back to right here, another Detroit reference here. And this, I don't know if it would be surprising. I don't think it is surprising because of Mike and Matt's connection to Kiss, but does that, like, doing Detroit Rock City, does that feel a little bit too obvious, you know? Like, I feel like almost every band, yeah. yeah, it feels like almost every band that would go into Detroit would be like, oh, Detroit Rock City, how are you? And stuff like that. So, I don't know.
like I mentioned with Stranglehold on Blackguard Yellow, a weird choice to intro it into Spin the Black Circle. I don't know what those two... A little two, bit. I get the, the vinyl thing maybe and like Kiss Records on vinyl, but eh, doesn't do anything for me. I think they were just looking for a song that made sense. And I guess because Spin the Black Circle has that you know, same kind of pace or a little bit faster of a pace where you can kind of transition to it and then get a little bit crazier with it than I guess. But I, yeah, I, I, I didn't know what to think about the transition. It kind of like stopped for a second and then went into the riff. So it's unique. It's very unique, but you know, they're not going to pull this out in a different location. Like if they, if they did that, if they decided to do Detroit Rock City and, I don't know, like Orlando. Not that they would go to Orlando again, but you know what I'm saying. Then it would yeah, just feel choice. really random, for sure. Another but, another OTOTO for Detroit here. That's right. But, you know, I, I like the visuals coming out of Spin the Black Circle. Mike and Jeff are just making their own little circle pit on stage, doing the, you know, spinning the needle themselves, and that's something that Mike likes to do all the time. But I don't know how often I've seen Jeff partake in that, but it was, it was a cool visual on there as well. Yeah that's going to get you into a live you kind of mentioned before that better man felt like more of an alive moment than alive felt like an alive moment but i thought alive sounded really good i thought that they kind of played up to the crowd and even though it's it's not like you have three songs after this instead of the two that you usually get it's not exactly the bread and butter situation but you know mike's tossing out picks and getting down to the front more intimate with the crowd and this is the beginning of the party ed puts on a red wings jersey then puts it down on the speakers in front and then jumps off the drum riser like that that you know there's stuff going on here so it didn't feel like you know they were just whizzing through this it it did feel like a pretty big performance in, in that aspect but it does bleed into everything else that I will say. Yeah, it just it didn't have. I think you know, and maybe it was just the the, the mix on the the recording of the video. But it didn't feel like it. It was the big crowd moment that Black and Better Man were. And again, I'm not I'm not throwing shade at it at all. I thought again, Alive is is a song that's got a whole weight behind it, and it's always going to have meaning to people, and it's always going to be good. But yeah, just it, again, it felt like, like you said, it's just the beginning of, of the celebration mode and the party time. And like, those aren't my favorite versions of Alive that I go back to. What we're going to end this set with, and obviously, you know, before you get into this, uh, there's an important question that you have to ask. And that's because you're not wearing a watch. So you have to ask everybody, what time is it? Right now. This is another and the last tribute to the Motor City rock and roll music here, doing the MC5 song. 
And, you know, I think another kind of quasi connection to this is that obviously Matt Lucan being in the crowd, this is always the song, as we talked about last week in Sao Paulo, this is always the song that Mud Honey plays with them. So I wonder if that's yeah. that kind of connection as well. But yeah, you start to send people home happy after this and kick out the jams, Baba, Indifference. It's, it's going to do all that, even though at times Ed is running out of fumes. I think there was one time where he's just kind of like leaning against his microphone and almost like falling to the floor as to say like, okay, this one knocked the wind out of me, but I still thought that they were having a lot of fun and, and you know, throwing out tambourines. And I will ask you, do, did you think that this was an indifferent sh- show or a Ledbetter show? Because I could have gone either way. Yeah, it almost it almost felt like neither. It felt like it should just been Baba and let it go. Yeah. Like- it's like classic rock time. Like just, just lean into the classic rock thing and then be done with it. Papa, I thought was a little awkward, but again, fine. They they got through it. It has a really long build at the end, and then, like you said, Ed like kind of collapses and then has to like do some push-ups to show like I'm all right. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'll pop back up. You know, at this point, like it almost, especially when they're, you're there, it almost doesn't matter like how they're playing yeah. it. Like. You know it's the end of the night. You just you're just happy to have a couple more minutes where you're witnessing this. Yeah, you had a couple of the big crowd moments at the end of the set. I mean, the the obvious ones, the you know everybody screaming, "It's only teenage wasteland," and then in indifference, could scream my lungs out till it leaves this room. So you're leaving them with a couple big moments here and some big moments to remember. And for a pretty good show like this, I don't think you can ask for much better than that. Uh, I think that you know it's it's pretty standard for most sets, and I think it worked here too. All right, now we get to the moment where we get to pick our top three of this show. John, what were your favorites? Oh, um, I was tempted to kind of go really out on left field in this one. I was tempted to do just the the get right speech and put that in there, but I'm going to give that one an honorable mention. My number three is actually going to be Last Kiss, and I don't know that if this is a first in the show that Last Kiss shows up in one of our top threes, but I thought just being so interactive with the crowd and, and having it be a, a big moment, I thought that was memorable. My number two is actually a Rearview Mirror, and my number one is the release into Ocean's beginning. All right, what I'm going to do here from my number three is the intro of I Want to Be Your Dog into Corduroy. And then for my number two, I'm going to take the rarest song of the bunch. That obviously wasn't one of the snippet covers, and that's going to be Black, Red, Yellow as my number two. And yeah, I I did kind of like the stranglehold moment. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was neat, even if, you know, maybe it was a weird spot, but I thought I thought I thought it worked. And then number one is going to be Light Years. I think that it's set up for a really beautiful moment, and it was a really powerful version. So now we get to talk about the rating for this. What number kind of rating is it going to get from you? You're going first. Yeah, this this is a good show. Like a, a lot of talking, a lot of cool interactive moments with Ed in the crowd, and a lot of really good performances. I'm at a solid eight with this one. Yeah, I'm... Um... I don't know. I'm kind of in between. I think I had my mindset on one rating like the whole entire time. And it kind of met that quota almost. I think that this, the show did have a lot of talking. It did have a lot of Ed, but also there weren't a lot of moments where you can say that he was talking about nothingness. There was a lot of like fun, interactive moments there. You know, the whole thing about Chelios and the fight was really funny. 
obviously the Ike Owens moment was was really special. But, you know, I, I, I think that that kind of just lasts for a podcasting thing and, and trying to get a flow of our show, which is like, okay, every other song in the mid set, it went song, speech, song, speech, song, speech. So it, it broke it up a tad bit, but I wouldn't really dock any points against that. I thought that overall, you know, when I'm, I'm looking for these shows sometimes, sometimes I'm looking at all the big performances, but then again, I think the show as a full entity has enough good moments from front to back where you can kind of cherry pick some and be like, okay, that's what made this show special. All the Detroit moments, black, red, yellow, the, some of the speeches that you can say stand out, especially the get right one. And that all makes for a pretty good show. I am, I'm going to be in a nine surprisingly. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of what I, what I was thinking when I was midway through the show, I was really feeling it. I was, I was feeling it was a pretty good show. And, and sometimes, that's just sort of what happens. And I couldn't think of giving it an 8.5 because I thought that it was much better than the 8.5 show than we got last week. So I'm at a 9, and I'm okay with that. So that's totally fine. Now, as we kind of teed up early in the show that we're going to have a couple things happening in December that are going to be a little bit more recent. So... If you remember, if you're on the Pearl Jam podcast community group on Facebook or even on our Patreon, we put together some polls asking you guys what your favorite shows or we even might have posed the question, what show do you want us to cover on the podcast at the end of the year? And we did it for all three legs. So we did something from the West Coast. We did one for the European run and then one for the run in September. And we got three answers. Some of you that have gotten the Live on Four Legs newsletter this month would know what all three picks are, but I'm going to share everything at once and talk about our full entire December as it will be the end of 2022. So here's our run. Next week, we're obviously going to do a show from the May California slash Phoenix run, and that will be Fresno because, of course, Dave cruising and how important that whole show was getting him back for the first time since really since 91 and full shows. But then again, you know, since the, the rock and roll hall of fame moment as well. And for Europe, the following week, the winner of that, I didn't think it surprised me, but there were a real lot of good competitors for this. You know, we had Amsterdam. That was really important. We had both the Hyde park shows that were, that were really good. And then we also had a, a great Krakow show as well, which a lot of people speak highly of. But the winner of this, and I think it makes the most sense, is Frankfurt. Because Frankfurt was really the first one out of this, this European run that turned heads. That was a set list that was different. They weren't going chalk. It wasn't a festival show. It was a unique building, a different location that they hadn't played in a very long time so that ended up being pretty legendary show right from the start so we're going to cover that in two weeks time and then right after that finishing our last actual show that we're covering for the year will be probably john and i's favorite from september Anybody that's listened to this podcast probably knows what it's going to be, but we had a, a lot of good people voting in, obviously, for this, and it needs to be talked about. St. Louis is going to be the last show of the year, and need I say any more? I think that that is in the running for one of the best shows of the entire 2022 tour. So those are the three that we got, and then you can't discount what we're going to do on the last week of December 
And if you've been paying attention, then you know we do the ratings every week. And sometimes we give shows like an 8 and a 9 like you saw today. But then again, we do give shows where John and I will fully agree that it deserves to be a 10. And those shows that got a perfect score in 2022 will end up going into the Hall of Fame at the end of December. And also there is an interactive vote on that as well that will be put out to the social media pages where you guys can decide which two shows are going to get into the Hall of Fame sort of as, you know, because we covered them in the past and we didn't give them perfect scores for reasonings far beyond our understanding. But, you know, these are usually pretty early shows that we do. And some of the options being, you know, Madison Square Garden from 2003 and the 98 one, but also the Spectrum for the Halloween show and a couple others, important ones like Soldier Field, all thrown in there as well. 10 really good options. And you guys will get to vote and choose two that will go into the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame episodes are a lot of fun. It gives us a chance to recap the year and review what we did and, and celebrate it as well. So there'll be about like 10 to 12 that are going in the Hall of Fame. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And then we're going to start 2023. I won't reveal what we're going to be doing for next year just yet. But as always, I hope you guys will enjoy it. Just like I hope you enjoyed Detroit. Now, if you're subscribed to us on Spotify or Apple, please leave us a rating, hopefully a five-star rating. Hopefully we have deserved that from you. And on Apple, if you care to do so, please leave us a comment and let not just us, but the people that might be interested in listening to us, let them know. What do you think about the show? Let us know what you guys would like to see us do in the future and you know it's all a word of mouth thing so if you let somebody else know somebody's gonna take a look maybe they'll like it and maybe they'll let somebody else know and that is the train that just kind of has been the momentum train since we first started here so i'd appreciate that john would appreciate that very very much just leave us a nice little comment if you're gonna say bullshit about us maybe don't say it because it's just why waste your time life is too short and also if you were gonna say something then you probably aren't listening at this point so there's that but would be really appreciative if you did that and we would send you a nice little gift along with your kindness so that's it and now before getting into fresno for next week we're going to end this show properly this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always while the end of 2022 is is here there is a fresh beginning on the horizon but we got to get through december right before we get to everything else. So we'll do it next week. We'll see you all there. Bring back Get Right. I won't fall to lay down I'm waiting till sundown